We are back in Hebrews today, so if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, then the words will be on the screen behind me, but I just... I would always encourage you, please open a Bible for yourself. Don't just take for granted that what I've put on the screen is what it says in here. Please read it for yourself. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible at all, there are some on a table at the back, which you are really welcome to as a gift from us. Please do help yourself to one of those. We're going to be reading uh, from Hebrews 11, verse 7. And just to to kind of re-enter into this series together... Uh, either if you're new by way of introduction or if you need a memory jog because Christmas has happened since the last time we opened this book. We call this series Jesus is Better because the refrain of the book of Hebrews over and over and over again is the great truth that Jesus is better than anyone or anything else. That the hope he offers is better than the hope we could find in anything else, that the life he offers us is better than that which is on offer anywhere else, that the grace he offers us is superior to that which we could find from anyone or anything else, that in every conceivable way, Jesus and his gospel are better. And some weeks we have covered huge chunks of the book uh, as we've read together through this series and at other points we've we've slowed down and zoomed in on slightly smaller sections and today we're zeroing in on just one verse in Hebrews chapter 11. It's one verse with a hugely significant message for us and so we're going to read together from Hebrews 11 verse 7 and then we'll begin to unpack it and see what it might have to teach us today. Let's read, shall we? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word. I say, Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear this afternoon? Would you help us to receive your word with with gladness? Would it take root and bear fruit in our lives for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this verse that we're going to unpack and dig into together today comes in a section of the book of Hebrews where the writer is talking about faith, specifically focused on some very well-known examples of faith from the Old Testament. Immediately preceding this verse, we, we read about faith and the nature of faith demonstrated by these Old Testament heroes that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And here today, we have one of the most well-known stories, one of the most well-known examples of faith from the whole of Scripture. Like, who here hasn't heard of Noah's Ark? Like, 
Everybody's heard this. In fact, even many who profess no faith at all, even many who have no understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ have some understanding or awareness of the story of Noah and the ark. I think it's a story that many of us think we know very, very well. There may be some surprises in there as we get to it, but we're going to dig in together. The first thing we read in Hebrews about Noah is that by faith... Being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. We're told that God came to Noah and spoke to him about something that hadn't yet happened, that was yet to come. And in response to that message, Noah did something. He acted. He made an ark for the saving of his household. And he did it in reverent fear. Now, just to pick up on that, that was not fear of the events that God had told him about. The the object in focus of that reverent fear was not that Noah was scared of the flood that was going to come. And in his panic and in his worry about the coming flood, he built an ark to escape it. Actually, the reverent fear that Noah had was for God. Those words convey a sense of of respect, of awe, of reverence to God. And as God, being the one Noah revered and was in awe of, spoke... So Noah believed and responded and acted because he had faith in, or he believed what God had said about the flood yet to come. You can read the whole story in in Genesis 6, chapter 6 through to chapter 9, and I would encourage you to do so later, especially if you think you know the story really well. I think it's good to not just rely on our memory for these things, but to actually read. But right at the beginning of our introduction to Noah, we read that Noah walked with God. Noah was a man who knew God and who walked with him, and who walked with him in the midst of a generation that was wicked and murderous and evil, a generation that was actively walking away from God, A generation of people that were in active rebellion and open rebellion against God who had turned their backs on him and said, we want nothing to do with you or your ways. We're going our way. And the result of that was a mess. They lived with no regard for God. And God came to Noah and spoke to him and told Noah that he was going to pour out his judgment on these people because of their wickedness because of their rejection of him and in his judgment that he would wipe them out but that in this judgment God chose to save Noah and his family chose to rescue and preserve them and that the way he would do that was through an ark 
Noah had a right awe and respect for and deference to God. And as a result, he took seriously what God said. He had faith and he believed what God said. That is hugely important. See, where Noah lived, the probability of a flood was pretty low. When God spoke to Noah about what was going to happen, the likelihood of that happening from everything Noah could see or perceive with his senses or understand with his logic or his human wisdom, like, that's crazy, that will never happen. But Noah didn't take God's word lightly or as a suggestion to build this boat. He didn't scrutinize God's instruction to him according to his wisdom or his logic. He didn't sit over it in judgment and say, well, I'm not so sure. Like God, I mean, have you seen the conditions around here? Like, I don't think that's likely. He didn't look at the weather and believe that by using his senses he knew better than God. This is really important because you know how often we can be tempted to respond that way to God's word. When we read things in here, our temptation when it sits at odds with prevailing culture, the prevailing worldview, when it sits at odds with what we see and experience and and our preconceived ideas of the world, our temptation can be to sit in judgment over God's word and to go, I don't think so. I mean, that doesn't seem likely to me. Like, surely it would be fairer or it would make more sense if. And we try to modify it and twist it and change it to suit our understanding of the world rather than submitting to it in reverence for the one who spoke in reverence for God see Noah didn't scrutinize God's word he submitted to it faith is believing God's word to be more true than culture or our present circumstances Faith, when God speaks, is believing his word to be more true and more reliable than culture or our present circumstances. In reverence for God, Noah believed what he said in spite of his circumstances. In fact, when you look through this list in Hebrews 11 of by faith, it's the same for all of them. God speaks something that humanly speaking seems impossible, at very least incredibly improbable. But with respect and reverence for God and in submission to him, they believe his word to be more true and more dependable than what they can see with their eyes and understand with their minds. 
in reverence for God, Noah believed what he said in spite of his circumstances. And because he believed it, because he believed it, he responded in obedience and did as God instructed. We read in the New Testament in the book of James that faith without works is dead. In professed faith that doesn't actually find its way out in concrete acts of obedience is not really faith at all. It's just a profession of something. Noah had faith. And in reverent fear for God, in submission to him, he responded in obedience and he built the ark. And as a result, he was saved. There's a good lesson for us there. To what extent do we respond in faith to God's word? To what extent are you responding in faith to God's word? And in reverent fear that's not I'm carrying in a corner because I'm worried he's going to do something bad to me fear it's a sense of awe and reverence wow God like you're so amazing if you say that like I believe that to be true and I'm gonna follow that's what it's talking about Noah's Act of faith and subsequent obedience has two outcomes, which is what we read about next. We read this. As a result of his faith and his obedience, we read, by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's faith and obedience had two consequences or two outcomes. Firstly, it served to condemn the world. Now that sounds like something that we instinctively in 21st century Britain read and we recoil against, don't we? This idea of condemnation, we read it and we think, oh, oh no. Like what, was, like, what does that mean? What's that about? Well, the world in this context it means those who lived with no reverence or regard for God. So that's, that's who's in focus. So Noah was in the midst of a generation who had turned their backs on God. Noah, by contrast, responded to God in faith and obedience. Noah did not sit in judgment over his neighbors. That's not what's being communicated here. Noah did not go out to them and say, I'm better than all of you, you're all condemned, you're all rubbish, and sit in judgment over them. No, God judged them, and God is the only one who is in an appropriate place to judge in that way, but Noah's belief, in contrast to their unbelief, demonstrated why they were being judged. And in that sense, Noah condemned the world. Does that make sense to you? Yeah? So if you want to apply that to yourself, please don't hear, I get to go around and tell all my neighbors all horrible things are going to happen to them 
because they don't have faith. That, that's not the sense of what's going on here. It doesn't mean you sit on your high horse and look around at everybody else and go, oh, I'm so much better than them because I'm a Christian. That's not what's being communicated. That's not what this is about. This isn't about a kind of smug self-righteousness and sitting in judgment over other people. This is purely saying that, that actually God's righteous and just judgment came... And Noah's faith, in contrast to their lack of faith, Noah's obedience, in contrast to their rebellion. That's interesting that the storybook retelling of Noah and the ark tends to declare that Noah went out and appealed to everyone to join him in the ark. Then, if that's if you kind of recollect the story my guess is that most of our recollections will include somewhere in there after Noah is told by God to build the ark Noah imploring everyone around him to join him and his family on the ark is that generally how you remember it going and often there's a point if you read a children's storybook retelling of this where just as all the animals have boarded and Noah and his family are up the ramp and on the way in, he turns around and gives one last impassioned plea for people to join him. Interestingly, the Bible doesn't actually tell us that happened. God chose Noah and his family to be saved on the ark. God appointed them to be rescued from the flood. And actually nowhere do we find in in the Genesis account God instructing Noah to go and tell everybody else to join them. It's fascinating actually. And nowhere do we have a record of Noah doing that either. I'm not saying he didn't. But I am saying we need to be careful of writing into Scripture what isn't actually there because we assume that it... it, I mean, he must have done. God didn't tell him to. We have no record of that and we have no record of him doing it. So I'm just... There's a warning for us about what eisegesis is like reading into Scripture what you think should be there. It doesn't say that, but... Noah clearly built a massive boat and it took him a long time to do it. So we can guess that people probably noticed he was building a massive boat in the desert. And we can guess that they may well have asked him, what on earth are you doing? And It is an assumption, something we don't know for sure, and we mustn't stipulate that it is there, but it's an assumption that he probably responded and told them what he was doing and encouraged them to join them. The best we've got from scripture on this because arguments from silence are dangerous is in second peter 2 verse 5 we read that noah was a herald of righteousness now it, it doesn't say that noah preached the gospel 
or exhorted those in his generation to repent. It doesn't say that. It says he was a herald of righteousness. Now, that could actually simply mean that he exemplified righteousness in the way he lived and his response to God. And it could mean that he exhorted people to repent of the coming flood. It isn't made plain to us in Scripture, and Genesis is silent on it. The only other two bits we've got, the clearest verses we have outside of Genesis are in Matthew 24 and in Luke 17, where Jesus compares the suddenness and unexpected nature of his return and the final judgment of God in that day to the judgment of the flood that came in Noah's time saying about the people of the time they were eating, drinking, and marrying, and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Which means whilst we don't know what Noah did or didn't say to them, we do know this, that at very least if Noah did preach to them, they didn't listen. They carried on in their disbelief and their rejection of God. They, they carried on without regard for the flood that was to come. They carried on eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. Just normal life. Just trucking on regardless. So that's the first thing that we see Noah's obedience meant that he condemned the world. And the second thing we find about it is that he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What does that mean? It's a strange expression, isn't it? Well, he... He became an heir. Noah inherited or received something. Something was given to him. Righteousness. What's righteousness? Righteousness is is the opposite or the antithesis of guiltiness. It means being declared right, not guilty, holy, pure, clean, and as a result, able to enter the holy presence of God. The perfect presence of God. And we're told that Noah's righteousness that he inherited is a righteousness which comes by faith. Now that is a really important phrase. It means this. Noah's righteous standing before God did not come as a result of his hard work and effort. Noah didn't work for his righteous standing before God. He did not achieve it. He did not live up to a mark. He did not achieve moral perfection. Noah's righteousness was given to him, inherited, received, Not on hard work and effort, but on the basis of faith. What's that? Well, we said at the beginning. 
Faith is taking God at his word, believing him and what he says to be true and responding to that in obedience. Noah took God at his word, he believed him, he responded in obedience and as a result he was saved from the just holy judgment of God and was given an inheritance of righteousness. As a result of his faith in God, God brought him safely through the judgment flood. He and his family. And out, we read in Genesis 9, out into a renewed creation. Free from the wickedness that prevailed previously. Do you see the clear parallels for us today? God has provided for us in Jesus a way that we might be carried through the flood of judgment and into new creation. We're going to unpack it a bit more in a moment, but it's interesting when you read in Genesis 8 about God's promise to Noah after the flood, you see that God is actually realistic at that point in time about the continued wickedness of people and their ongoing rejection of him. He was realistic about the fact that although that was at that point a fresh start, that people were going to continue to live in rebellion against him. Read from Genesis 8, 21 to 22, God saying to himself, before he then speaks to Noah, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease." There's not going to be another flood. There's not going to be another point when God wipes out in the way he did. But that covenant, that promise, has an end point. And if you notice, as we read it, but that is while the earth remains. While the seasons continue... God will continue to provide the common grace of seed time and harvest, of summer and winter, of day and night. God will continue to provide in these common graces for all of humanity while earth remains. But there will be a day of judgment. The Bible is very clear on that. There will be a day when all that we see around us will be brought to an end. We referenced it earlier in Jesus' words in Matthew 24 and Luke 17. Jesus talks about that day that will come and says, just as in the days of Noah, people aren't going to expect it. Many people live with no regard for God, even if they have heard about the judgment to come. They don't have a reverence for God 
that leads them to listen to his word. I don't know if you noticed that. People don't have a reverence for God that leads them to listen to his word. Do they? The majority of people today, as has been the case for all of human history, will sit in judgment over it rather than in obedience under it. They enjoy God's common grace, seed time and harvest, the rhythm of the seasons of day and night time. And just as in the days of Noah, they're eating and drinking and marrying, pursuing relationships with others, but doing all of it with no regard for God. And there will be a day of judgment when wickedness, sickness, and sin will finally and fully be wiped away. And so too will all who continue in their rejection of God. However, just as Noah was carried safely through the flood in the ark, God has provided for us in Jesus a better ark that will carry us safely through his judgment. As Noah believed and by faith responded to God and was saved, we too need to believe, respond in faith to Jesus that we might be saved, that we might be carried safely through that judgment. And just as Noah received an inheritance of righteousness, so too to all those who put their hope in Jesus. If you're a Christian today, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you are considered righteous. You have right standing before God. Your guilt has been removed, dealt with. You've been made holy, pure, spotless. That's how you stand before God today. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you receive an inheritance of righteousness that comes by faith. Not righteousness of works, but on the basis of faith, a gift of God, as we read in Ephesians 2, so that none can boast. You can't lord it over someone. I'm so much better than you. You can't look in judgment on your neighbor when you know that your right standing with God is purely on the basis of faith. It's given to you, a free gift, credited to you as though it were your own, though you've done nothing to deserve it or earn it. This is incredibly securing. See, if you are in Christ, you're safe and secure. One of my favorite sections, actually, in Genesis 6 to 9, in that account of Noah, is the point just after they board the ark. And the rains are coming, and there's this little phrase that just says, and the Lord shut them in. God secured 
by his divine hand, Noah and his family in the ark. He shut them in. They were secured by God in the ark to be carried safely through the judgment flood. When you respond in faith to Jesus, you are shut in. You are secured. Nothing and no one can take you from his hand. It's incredibly comforting, isn't it? You have nothing to prove and nothing to fear in Christ. You are safe and secure. Now and for all eternity, that's a truth worth celebrating, isn't it? And it's also a truth worth sharing. See, we don't know to what extent Noah appealed for people to join him in the ark. But we do know this. There is a coming judgment. People don't like talking about it because it's uncomfortable and unusual as a concept to our very nice 21st century mindset. But the Bible could not be more clear. There is a coming judgment. And in Jesus we have an ark who will carry through all of those who have faith in him. And tragically, until the day he comes, there will be people eating and drinking and getting on with their lives with no regard for him who will not expect him to come. Who will be shocked on that day. But until that day comes... If you're a Christian, you have a mandate, a commission to share the gospel with those around you, to implore them, to put their faith in him, to be secured in the ark. Some argue that the Great Commission is only given to the apostles and doesn't apply to us today from Matthew 28. Well, it's true that it was given first to the apostles, I am convinced that it was not given only for the apostles. The command of Jesus, teach them to observe all that I have commanded, must logically include the instruction to make disciples, doesn't it? If Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the earth and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, but it was to exclude the instruction to make disciples. I mean, <laughs> like teach them to obey everything apart from that instruction. Like that was just for you guys. <laughs> like that logically doesn't make any sense, does it? That would be crazy. It would also see the church die out within a generation, which I cannot believe was ever God's plan. This command of Jesus applies to every Christian throughout history, including us today. There will be a day when it's too late for people. But that isn't today, unless he comes suddenly tonight. Today is a day of salvation. I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian... Don't take that for granted. Take the opportunities that we have to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. 
We've got 321 starting on Wednesday. It's not too late to invite your friends. It's not too late. Take those opportunities. And I want to say, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, I want to appeal to you. Seek him while he can be found. Today is a day of salvation. You can come to Jesus today and know the joy of your sins forgiven. You can know the security, the confidence that you will be with him forever. If you would like to know that for yourself, I want to encourage you to come and speak to me afterwards. Maybe you're not ready for that today. I just want to say, if this is all nonsense, if there is no judgment coming, if everything I've said is rubbish, then you can disregard it with no concern. No worry. Carry on eating and drinking, pursuing relationships. But if there's even the slightest chance that it might be true, then surely it has to be the most important thing you could ever hear. And considering it has to be the most significant thing you could ever do with some of your time. And therefore, I want to encourage you, if that's you, please join us on the 321 course. Explore for yourself. Ask questions. Make up your own mind. But don't just disregard it. I want to pray for us now and then Chris is going to come and lead us in communion before we finish our time together this afternoon. Lord, I thank you for the example of Noah that you've given us in your word. Lord, as someone who, who heard your word to him and in spite of his circumstances, he believed you and he acted accordingly. God, I pray for us today that we would be people like Noah who recognize you as the Lord of all, who has all authority, who have an appropriate, appropriate reverence and awe of you that leads us to respond in obedience to your word. Lord, we want to be those who have faith, who consider what you say as more significant and more reliable than the things we see around us or the messages we receive in the media. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people of faith. And I pray that you would secure us again now. Thank you that when we trust in you, when we hope in you, when we believe in you, when we follow you, we receive as our inheritance righteousness. That isn't a result of our works, it isn't a result of our moral performance, but is a gift of God. Lord, I pray that you would just secure us in that truth again today. Maybe where this week we've, we know 
that we fail to live up to our own standards, let alone yours, where we know that there's been sin in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to you again now, to know the joy of sins forgiven and conscience cleansed, and to be secure in the truth that your grace towards us, the righteousness we have, is not a result of our works, not a result of our perfect obedience, not a result of us somehow managing to do enough to earn your approval, but is your gift freely given because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf at the cross. Lord, would you secure us in that truth again today that we might respond in joyful obedience for your glory and the good of those around us. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.